0: From the Vaults, audio from Edmonton's past. This recording consists of an interview of Joseph Lamoureux, conducted by David Leonard on October 23rd, 1978. This material was originally recorded on a 5-inch open-reel tape and was digitized by an archivist on August 28th, 2020. Now This interview is being conducted on the 23rd of October, 1978, with Mr. Joe Lamoureux a uh, man who's been prominent in the uh, police force for a number of years. Now, I guess we can start up, Joe, by asking you when and where you were born?
1: Well, I was born in the town of Fort Saskatchewan on the 1st of July, 1923. 23. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, your name is quite famous in the area. Who, who is your father, Joe? My father was Hermidas Lemori, and he was the grandson of the, one of the original settlers in Lemori village. Mm-hmm. My father was one of the first white men born in the village of Lamori. Mm-hmm. On the twenty-first of August, eighteen seventy-eight.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what were your grandfather's name have been then?
1: My great grandfather's name was uh, his namesake, uh, Joe Lamori. Joe Lamori. Yeah. Uh-huh. And your grandfather then was. Uh, my grandfather was uh, Theophil Lamori. Mm-hmm. Of course, my dad was Mhm. And
0: they were. They all lived. Uh, in the Fort Saskatchewan area, in the area of Lamore.
1: And uh, for, we were from Fort Saskatchewan, and my dad's family was from the village of Lemore. hmm I see.
0: Now, the early Lemores were, were farmers, and I believe they operated a mill for some time,
1: too. That's quite right.
0: Yeah. What uh, did your father do?
1: Strange no, that you should mention the mill, because my dad learned the lumber business from his grandfather. And he became a millwright and a sawyer, Mm -hmm. and for the most of his life, that's what his uh, profession was. Mm -hmm. He worked in most of the large uh, lumber camps that there was in the northern part of the province of Alberta. Mm -hmm.
0: So he traveled quite a bit away from this area. That's right,
1: he sure did. Uh
0: And at the time that you were born, he was, however, located in Fort Saskatchewan.
1: We were living in the town of Fort Saskatchewan, and then shortly after I was born, my dad moved our family to the town of Athabasca, where he had a large uh, sawing contract, Mm -hmm. and he was doing the mill work. work. Mm -hmm. I
0: see. So you were born in 23 then, and you would have gone to school in Fort Saskatchewan. That's correct. Uh, When did you uh, become uh, interested in police work, Joe? Was it very early? I know you've been a long-time member of the Edmonton Police Force.
1: Well, I became interested in police work after I returned from overseas uh-huh. because there was no uh, direct jobs to move into and we had to look for something for an occupation for ourselves uh-huh. and I decided that I had a pretty good physique and I should try for the police force.
0: I see, yes. Well, you went overseas then. Uh, you must have been very young then at the time.
1: Yes, so I think I was about one of the youngest fellows that ever went over from Is that right? I took my training here in Edmonton for some nine months or so. And then uh, we left to go down to Toronto for a short period of time. We reorganized our unit. Mm-hmm. And then we were overseas in June of 1940. And I had my 17th birthday in Aldershot in England.
0: I see. Well, what unit was that then?
1: That was with the Royal Canadian Engineers.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were among the first to go over too. Uh, well, you were there at the duration of the war?
1: Yes, I was there till after the war had finished. Mm-hmm. We were up in Germany at the time that the war quit, and uh, then we had to stay there for several months before we got repatriation, mm-hmm. I finally got back to Canada in October of 1945.
0: I see. Well, you must have seen considerable action then, is this the case?
1: Yes, we saw a good deal of action in, in Northwest Europe. Mm-hmm. I never did get outside of, uh, yeah, of England and Northwest Europe.
0: Yes, where, uh, did you, were you at the F by any chance? No, no.
1: Oh, I only mean, just missed it.
0: I see. Uh, so Northwestern Europe—that would have been Belgium,
1: France, and Belgium, Holland, and Germany. I see.
0: Uh, you weren't on the Italian campaign, all. Uh, I know there were a number no. of Edmontonians that were down you know, there as well.
1: No, we never got to Italy.
0: So you were with the engineer uh, regiment. Uh, now, what? What was your basic duties in in that? Well, I
1: had a variety of training when I was with the Army engineers. Strangely enough, I took uh, basic training, and then we went into the Army engineers training, where we learned a lot of uh, bridging uh, techniques and such. And then we went into uh, the regular infantry and small arms training. Then we learned explosives and uh, grenades of all types. Mm -hmm. And then after we got over to England, they put us into more specialized engineering, we did a lot of heavy bridging, railroad bridging, and uh, heavy construction work.
0: Mm-hmm, I see.
1: We built a, a general hospital at Bramshot in England. We built another big hospital in uh, Colchester in mm-hmm. England.
0: I see, yes. Well, uh, a lot of this training that you had uh, achieved during the war, I guess it wasn't used that much with the police force, was it?
1: No. Uh, strangely enough, to switch from one career to another, uh, then I had to learn an entirely different career when I went into police work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I retained my knowledge of engineering and, and construction work for my own use as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I did carpentering and uh, finished carpenter work as my hobby.
0: Oh, I see. And you're still engaged in that, aren't right you? Yes,
1: I'm back to it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. So, okay, you returned then in 45 and uh, you obviously physically equipped and equipped in other ways too for the police force so that attracted you now edmonton in 45 uh it was a big city but it was sort of poised in the verge of rapid uh, rapid development what with the duke oil strike and all uh i suppose you uh had many experiences or many of the uh, things you were engaged in as a policeman with the result of this rapid uh, rapid, uh, uh, well, relocation of peoples. Edmonton had been a city for some time. A lot of coming and going, and I suppose. If we do have a high crime rate right now, that's one of the reasons. Now, uh, in the police force, what, um, wh- what, how did you begin? Did you begin on patrol? For patrol?
1: Yes, that's correct. I started off in uni- as a uniform constable, and, uh, did the normal beat patrol for approximately a year and a half, mm-hmm. and then I was assigned to patrol car duty. Mm-hmm. And uh, between patrol car duties, and uh, then that was for night work. And uh, then when I came up on a day shift, we'd still walk the beat on days. I see. And uh, then after that, I was transferred in 1950 into identification work. I see. And uh, at that time, I went into plain clothes. Oh, yeah. So uh, I did a lot of. Uh, studying under uh, Detective Ken Murray, who was in charge of the identification section at that time. Mm -hmm. And then in 1953, I was sent to the RCMP headquarters in Ottawa to take a specialized advanced course in identification and photography work in related fields. Mm
0: -hmm. I see. Well, when you were starting on foot patrol, then what areas of the city did you, I suppose you had a lot of them, but uh, what ones did you tend to have more?
1: Well, mostly on Jasper Avenue. Strangely enough, I never did get posted to the south side. Never I never worked a day on the south side in all my career. Yeah. Mind you, I've done investigations over there. but uh-huh. only well, the
0: was, it, was it customary to keep patrols in a certain area the, once they got used to a certain area? Of the no, state?
1: strangely enough, they used to change them around back and forth a good bit. But uh, somehow, I was retained on the north side. And like I say, it was only a matter of about three and a half to four years before I went into identification work. Uh-huh. And of course, that necessitated me being at police headquarters. Mm-hmm, I see.
0: Yeah. Well, on foot patrol, then you must have uh, spent some time at least in the Ninety Seventh Street area. Tell me, was that area of town uh, did it have the same sort of mystique that it has now, sort of a down and out area and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of crime? Was that the crime area of town?
1: Well, actually, it was 96th Street, uh, the the, the lower end of 96th Street from Jasper up to about, and including 104th Avenue. Mm -hmm. That's where all the nightlife was, if you want to refer to it as such. And, uh, of course, a good bit of the crime. Uh But the types of crime we had then, and looking back on it, were not near as vicious as what you have now. Certainly, you had murders, and our murder is vicious as you'll find, but then again, we didn't have as many of them.
0: I guess maybe uh, human life was wasn't uh, taken or er, was taken a bit more seriously. It wasn't so easy a casual approach. I mean, people are getting murdered today just upon having their store robbed. And, uh, it seems to be this casual uh, irreverence for human life that predominates today. That's right. Uh, I think statistics have borne it out that the crime rate is a lot higher today than it was then. Did it? Does it seem so?
1: Oh yes, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Having worked for uh, the identification section, uh, it was part of our duties to uh, photograph and fingerprint all the criminals that were arrested for mm-hmm. criminal offenses. Mm-hmm. And uh, as such, we got a very good working knowledge of all the transient criminals and all our regular criminals from the city of Edinburgh area. Is the
0: proportion of transient criminals higher now? Or shall I I'll, I'll rephrase that? Is the rate of crime among, uh, that was committed, are more crimes committing them now than they were in the early years, or
1: not? I would think so, David, then. I would like to justify that by saying that now it's much easier to uh, move in, in a geographical location than what it was then. Mm-hmm. We have uh, more airline connections, and uh, we have uh, train connections, we have bus connections, and of course, private cars people nowadays have traveled far more freely than they did even in 1946.
0: Yes, that's quite true. I know, um, well, in my knowledge of evident history, the town really boomed between 1904 and 1914. And with that, there was a very high rate of crime. And again, it seemed to center on a lot of the transient population. Uh, There was a lot of animosity towards the Galicians, the Ukrainians at that time, Feeling was that they, as foreigners, are prone to commit crime. I guess maybe that feeling <laughs> still is existent.
1: No, I, w- I wouldn't se- settle it down to any one particular. No, not an ethnic group ethnic like group. Yeah, no. but because uh, the idea of newcomers. Yes, newcomers I, I see what you mean there right now. But, uh, if there's uh, more crime committed by that particular class, it's because we have more of them in the population. Sure. In this particular area. Sure. sure. Right.
0: Yeah, but uh, I, I know back at that time, too, there was a great falling off in population with World War I, and at the same time there was this great falling off in in the crime rate. Yeah, well, you were on the beat for a few years, then to car patrol, and then you went into identification. Uh, in these early years, are there any particular cases that strike out in your mind that you had dealt with?
1: Oh, I don't think there's anyone that would be particularly interesting now. Uh, in later years, when I was transferred into uh, CID, that would be 1964. We had some very interesting cases that we came across then, pertaining to major bank robberies and uh, mm-hmm. and homicide cases. mm mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, I know in the. Uh, early years, Edmonton did have a very high rate of uh, drug use, uh, particularly opium. Right after the Second World War, was there very much of that going on in the city?
1: No, there wasn't very much of it at all, Dave, and uh, we got so that we knew practically every one of the ones that were liable to be using it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did become involved in the investigation of a few drug cases Mm -hmm. at that
0: time. I see. Of course, the situation has changed uh, an awful lot now. Yes. Uh, the Red Light District, as we mentioned before, was sort of in that 96th Street area. Was it always a high crime rate as well? I suppose the two went hand That's and quite and true, and, yes.
1: They, they do it now. Because it was, it was uh, retained in that particular area for some strange reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you went uh, two blocks either way off the 96th Street area, uh-huh. you're practically away from it. That's right, yeah.
0: Well, I know, Joe. Back in 1912, 1914, there was it was a great issue, uh, this idea that you cannot eradicate prostitution, and it was believed so strongly that a mayor, McNamara, and uh, uh, leading alderman Joe Clark, who went on to greater things, agreed that well, since we can't eradicate this, let's just try to confine this situation within certain bounds, 101st Street to 92nd Street, Jasper Avenue to. Uh, about 106th, 7th Avenue North. Uh, Is there that feeling today or in recent years that, okay, we can't really uh, do away with it, so let's just make sure we'll be very hard on hookers if they're outside a certain area? Is there this idea to just try to confine it and not Uh, eradicate
1: it? I think there's a good deal of merit to that, Mm -hmm. because uh, for a while here, the tendency was that the, the prostitution uh, trade in the city was going to go more on the call girl service, mm-hmm. but then our morality people have tied in on that, and clamped down on it very tightly, and uh, before long there was uh, it was eradicated. Mm-hmm. And uh, now they're back to the old idea of a few city blocks that are more or less recognized mm-hmm. as the, the area that the prostitutes operate.
0: So they'll be and less less hard on them in this area than other areas. Well,
1: I wouldn't say less hard on them, Dave, because they've really been putting on a good effort as far as investigation is concerned, uh-huh. but uh, I don't think they're getting the necessary backing from the
0: courts. No, I, I would agree with that. I don't think they are, <laughs> myself. Uh, there's really not much a policeman can do uh, uh, when a young lady is out in the street. Uh, supposedly the, the law is totally on her side as a free individual. I know it, you, certainly very, they are very much in evidence Uh, on the, say, 105th, 106th Street area just south of Jasper now, which is, again, a different
1: area. Quite true. It's strange that they moved such a long way in one sudden move, isn't
0: it? It its strange, but then I see with the courthouse and so much of of these big high-rise buildings crowding the area out on the east end there, I guess they had to make a jump somewhere. Uh, It is strange, though, that they did, instead of moving further east, that they did, in fact, Jump across town, as it were, to an extent. Now, okay, you went into investigation work, uh, and uh, how, how, how long were you involved in
1: that? Well, I was promoted to inspector in 1962, mm-hmm. and I worked for two years with the patrol division mm-hmm. as a patrol inspector. And then in 1964, it was in January, I was transferred again, this time to CID as second in charge of the Criminal Investigation Division. Mm -hmm. And I worked under Superintendent uh, Ken Murray at that time, Mm -hmm. or Staff Inspector, as his rank was called. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was the only inspector in CID at that particular time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had most of all the major crimes to look after. Uh, No, there was one inspector in morality, I guess. And uh, we did everything except the morality investigation at that time. Mm-hmm. We looked after what drug cases there were and we looked after youth cases and then they formed the uh, youth guidance section and then shortly after that there was an inspector promoted and placed in charge of that section and bit by bit it expanded to the point now where they had uh, presently five inspectors in CID. see. But the, that was very interesting work and, uh, I really enjoyed it the whole time I was there. Mind you, I maintained a particular interest in homicide investigations and bank robberies. And then when they did another breakdown of uh, the police force following the, uh, obviously not investigation, but the examination by the American authorities back in about 1972-73, then uh, they placed me in charge of the crimes against persons section, Mm -hmm. which meant that I looked after the investigation of all major crimes against persons, including homicide, uh, robberies, assaults, uh, major sex crimes such as rape and indecent assaults and Mm -hmm. so forth.
0: These are physical crimes? That's right. I see what you mean, yeah. I see. Well, things are really getting diversified now, aren't they?
1: Oh, yes. you
0: I think this is a good trend. I mean, the uh, idea that a policeman shall be responsible for and shall concentrate on one area only of crime. He, do you think there's a danger? He just may lose his uh, a bit of uh, expertise and his diversity.
1: No, I don't think so. It's a very good uh, arrangement, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, the point is this: that your subject could be transferred to any other section at any time.
0: So you do a so crack, you have, have to, to retell your knowledge in other areas. matters,
1: it's quite true. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's what you mean. Well, certainly with the crime rate in Edmonton, as high as it is right at the moment, do you see any other steps being taken in the near future to uh, try to deal with this, or is there much that can be done?
1: Well, I think one thing that they're going to have to do is to put uh, plainclothes investigators into the substations within the city. Mm-hmm. We now have a substation in Jasper Place, one in Southside, and one in London there and then they've also one section of the main headquarters for a substation. And uh, the patrol division operates in this manner, and I think that if they had plainclothes investigators working in conjunction with the personnel assigned to those stations, that they'd have a closer working relationship, and they'd be able to handle the crime situation much better. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, this seems a bit logical. I mean the uniform obviously gives a man away no matter where he is. And I suppose uh, the deal could come about
1: that. Well, the best thing in that regard, though, Dave, is the close proximity in which the members work, the plain-clothes investigators and the uniform members. They oh, get to know one another on a more personal basis. Yes. They get to uh, have a greater appreciation of just what the problem is in a particular area. Mm-hmm. For instance, if they find that they've got stolen cars uh, being found at a particular location, Mm-hmm. Why, then, are they being found at this particular location? Sure. And then they can move in, set up their investigation, and the mm-hmm. statistics will show them where to watch, mm-hmm. and uh, then they know exactly where to apply their uh, knowledge and their facilities. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, that's handling it from one end, but uh, then, of course, there is the other end, and that is the fact that, I, I will say, it's a fact that the courts really don't support... The police that much in their efforts to reduce crime it's very well to spend all this effort and energy and even the physical danger to apprehend so many criminals you think you foresee any change in the legal system or at least in the uh, the uh,
1: exercising
0: of what laws we have to clamp down on this
1: well our laws are sufficient we have some of the best law facilities in canada that you'll find anywhere in the world But for some reason, there seems to be a lack of management of our courts, and this is particularly prominent right here today, uh, where in the last few days you had uh, word of the Attorney General uh, take an issue with the justice people, and then the justice people on the weekend at a conference that was held here in Edden are replying that the Attorney General shouldn't be sticking his nose into matters that concern the Justice Department. But I think they should both get together and uh, get a little bit of, organization into the courts mm-hmm. and uh, deal with these cases that as they come up without so much delay. There's so much uh, opportunity given now for the benefit of the accused. The accused gets a lawyer appointed by legal aid. He doesn't even have to worry about paying anything for it. And uh, as soon as he's arrested there's a lawyer down to see him. And uh, it just seems that every consideration is given to the accused. Mm-hmm. And so consequently The great delays before these cases come to court and i think that that has a lot to do with the lenient sentences that are handed out Mm
0: -hmm. yeah one uh, thing in this respect uh, i know in the states i suppose holds for here too the number of cases that occur that a uh, man is charged with a crime is just let free on a technicality. That's right. A little piece of evidence just doesn't happen to be in the court at that particular time, and the whole case is, is wiped out. Yeah, that uh, certainly is one of the problems of our time. Well, Joe, that's uh, been a very interesting talk with you. Uh, I hope that in the future some of our researchers will uh, gain some insight into yourself and Edmonton Police Force from this interview. Thank you very much. You're welcome, too. This material is a digitized audio recording from the holdings of the City of Edmonton Archives. For more information regarding the recording, please contact us by email at cms.archives.edmonton.ca, by phone at 780-496-8711, or on our online catalog at cityarchives.edmonton.ca.